Welcome to Triumphant's Podcast with Pastor Perrin, preaching on the Word of God. John chapter 3, John chapter 3, we're going to pick up reading at verse number 22. And all of you that know the worth of prayer, y'all pray my strength in the Lord this morning. John chapter 3, picking up at verse number 22, we're going to read down to verse number 30. It reads like this from the English Standard Version. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Enon near Salem because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with us across the Jordan To whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Those last two lines one more time. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the word of God for the people of God, and so we say thanks be to God. This morning from our passage that we just read, I would like to title our sermon from this passage that we just read, um, A Different Path to Joy. A Different Path to Joy. I had to ask Lady Key um, yesterday whether or not she thought that y'all were getting tired of me hearing, um, hearing me use the stories from black history um, for our sermon introductions. Y'all know I always pull from those stories. And she told me she didn't think so. And so if you'll indulge me one more Sunday as I reach back into the archives of our rich black history. And I want to draw from the story about a woman this time. After all, March is Women's History Month. And This week, as I was preparing for today, I couldn't stop thinking about this woman's story. Although her story isn't well known, it is a very important story, and it has played a vital role in our struggle for freedom and civil rights. I want to introduce to some and present to others Ms. Claudette Claudette Colvin. Um, Some of you at home, I know y'all got your phones, and y'all going to start wikipedia her and Googling her. That's fine. Some will know right away, though, that Miss Claudette Colvin, she was the one who, before Rosa Parks said nah and was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on that bus on December 1st, 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama, nine months before 
Rosa Parks said nah. Miss Claudette Colvin said nah. At the ripe young age of 15 years old, she also was arrested for refusing to give up her seat to whites on a bus in the same city of Montgomery, Alabama. Same city, same bus system, same jail, same year, same time, just nine months earlier. And in her words, Ms. Colvin said that she refused to give up her seat that day because she had paid her fare and it was her constitutional right to sit wherever she wanted on that bus. It is worth noting, before we move on, that she says she was motivated to resist because she had been studying Negro History Month and she had been studying the stories of Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth at her segregated school. And at her segregated school, they were talking about the injustices that she and other blacks in um, Alabama at that time were having to experience daily under the Jim Crow segregation laws. And in fact, here's how she described what was going through her head that day when she refused to give up her seat. She said, my head was just too full of black history and the oppression that we went through. It felt like Sojourner Truth was on one side pushing me down and Harriet Tubman was on the other side pushing me down and I couldn't get up. See, over the years, it has been confounding historians as to why Miss Colvin's arrest didn't lead to the Montgomery bus boycott like Mrs. Rosa Parks' arrest did. However, even though we don't know why, we do now know that whether it was because Ms. Colvin was too young or because Mrs. Parks was a more stately, older figure and that at the time was serving as the secretary for that local chapter of the NAACP, whatever the reason, we do know that Ms. Colvin was a forerunner and she was a trailblazer for Mrs. Rosa Parks. Don't forget, I told you all a few weeks ago, there's always somebody who has blazed the trail before us. But in addition to her resistance nine months earlier, paving the way for Mrs. Rosa Parks and for the movement that eventually led to the Montgomery boycott, bus boycott, in addition to that, we need to know that she was one of four women plaintiffs in the court case that successfully overturned bus segregation laws in the city of Mont Montgomery and in the state of Alabama. There's an author who wrote a book about her, and he says that he doesn't think that Ms. Colvin was resentful or upset that it was ultimately Mrs. Rosa Parks' arrest that drew national attention. She wasn't upset about that. In recalling the details of that day, Ms. Colvin said that she felt proud that she had stood up for the rights of black people. She had done something that a lot of adults had not done. And hear me real quick. Don't, don't tune me out yet. On the ride home from jail with her mother in the car, Reverend Johnson, the pastor who had bailed her out of jail, he was taking them home. And as he had gotten her out of jail and they're on the ride home, she said he said something to her that day that she'll never forget. He was an adult who everyone respected, and his opinion meant a lot to her. And he said to her, Claudette, I'm so proud of you. Everyone prays for freedom, and we've all been praying and praying and praying. 
but you're different. You want your answer the next morning. And I think you just brought the revolution to Montgomery. This morning I mentioned Ms. Colvin's story because it's fascinating to me how she doesn't seem to be bitter or resentful or upset that her story hasn't made most history books. She doesn't seem to throw any shade on Mrs. Rosa Parks because Mrs. Parks got more shine than she did. It seems she's satisfied with having just done her part. Having made Rosa Parks reach the level of national attention that it did was by, by way of what she did nine months earlier. She had stirred the hearts and the minds and made other blacks in that community sympathetic to the injustice that she had faced. And perhaps that's why it made Mrs. Rosa Parks' efforts easier to lead to the bus boycott movement. And the more I reflect on trailblazers in this series, the more I realize, realize how trailblazers often have to sacrifice their own preferences, their own comfort and conveniences, their own promotion for the good of those who are coming after them. Trailblazers by nature are met with and face pushback and opposition and resistance, and they often have to sacrifice, and their sacrifice is often unknown, it is often untold, and it is often not lifted up for us to see. But in order for them to cut down that brush that leads to greater liberty and joy, they, they meet this opposition in order to trailblaze the way for others. In our passage this morning, we see John the Baptist face with resistance as well. He's met with a dilemma, whether he's going to swallow his pride and forego propping up his ego in order for more attention and prominence to shine on him than to shine on Jesus. But we see clearly that John the Baptist, he doesn't bat an eye. He readily, without hesitating, he, he knows that in order for Jesus to increase in prominence, it would require that John the Baptist's notoriety would have to diminish and fade off the scene. We hear it in the famous words at the end of this section when he says, he must decrease, excuse me, he must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist understands that perhaps he's going to have to fade off the scene in order for Jesus to rise to prominence. But I hope you notice what John said immediately prior to that. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. By saying that before he says Jesus must increase and I must decrease, by saying that before that, John is directly tying his joy to the increasing prominence of Jesus and his decreasing prominence and notoriety. John is saying, my joy is connected to me taking a back seat role so that Jesus can take a front seat role. Your joy is connected with you 
having a diminishing role, that is odd. That is not the path to joy that many of us are accustomed to. And even back then, they weren't accustomed to that either. Most of us, we tend to associate our promotion, our elevation, our rise in prominence, our increase. We tend to associate all of that with God increasing. But what if the way up is the way down? What if the way to leading is serving? What if the first are actually the last? See, this is a different path to joy that I want you to consider this morning because in our culture, in our world, we think that our promotion goes hand in hand with God increasing. But what we see here is that there is a different path to joy that if we would decrease, that Jesus would be able to increase. It's foreign, and it is off-putting at first glance. And I'm sure some of y'all have probably already tuned me out because it cuts against the grain of what we perceive to be reasonable in our lives. But I venture to suggest that this is a different pathway to joy, but it can lead us to joy as well. In fact, this pathway to joy is actually quite radical, y'all. It seems... This is why the writer of this gospel, John, not John the Baptist, the disciple, the apostle John, when he writes this gospel and when he writes this passage about what happens to John in this passage, I hope you noticed in verse number 22, he uses this connecting phrase. He says, after this. This connecting phrase after this, even though it sounds like a a phrase of timing, it's actually not a phrase of sequence of timing. It's actually just to get us as the readers to connect what he's about to say to what he has just previously said. The writer wants us to look back and turn the page so that we connect what he's about to say to what he has already said. And this after this phrase connects us to some radical ideas that are put forward in the beginning of the third chapter of John. You know the third chapter of John because of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is actually a radical message that God loved the world that he told his only son, Jesus, to give up heaven and to come down to earth and to take the form of a baby, to be born in a dingy, dust-filled manger without any fanfare or much applause except for the angels visiting some poor shepherds who were on a graveyard shift at night. This is the message 
This is the gospel. It is a radical message. It is the message that Jesus says, even though foxes have dens, I don't even have a place to lay my head. This is the same Jesus who came into town, not even on a horse or a chariot, even though he was the king of kings and lords of lords. He comes to town on a donkey. Y'all see what John is trying to do is, is he's trying to connect what he's about to say happens with John the Baptist to this radical message that we see in the verses prior. And then in the verses prior to what leads off in John 3.16, we see that Jesus has a conversation with this guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him. He's a ruler. He's a smart man. He comes to Jesus at night. And Jesus says to him in verse number three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused because this message is so radical. He's saying, what? How can I be born again? I can't enter a second time into my mother's womb. But Jesus is saying, listen, what you need to have happened to you in order to get into the kingdom is that you need a new life. Your present life is not going to usher you in to the kingdom. You need a transformation. You need your mind and your heart and your body to be transformed. This is not an easy message. Y'all have been in church a long time, and so you've heard this message before, but the idea of being born again was radical. And here it is, is that John the, John, the gospel writer, the disciple, the apostle, he is connecting those ideas to what we see happening with John the Baptist here. And so what he begins to do is, is he begins to set up this compare and contrast between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of John the Baptist. He says that Jesus' ministry was growing. Jesus he, he had people coming to him, and Jesus was baptizing people. And in fact, we find out in chapter 4 that Jesus actually wasn't doing the, one, weren't doing the baptizing. It was actually his disciples. But, but, but they were coming to Jesus to be baptized. And then it says that John was on the other side of the water, and he was baptizing people as well. And it happened before John the Baptist was, was put in prison. So, and so we know that they had this ministry that's working side by side. And perhaps there was some competition of whose church was going to grow faster. And then it turns out that Jesus' church was growing faster than John the Baptist's. It turns out that folks was leaving John the Baptist's church to go over to Jesus' church. This is the contrast that John, the gospel writer, is putting before us. He says in verse number 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. We don't know what that discussion is, but it was discussion about legalist stuff. And they were saying, well, what, what is more pure? And, and somehow or another, it came out that they made, it made John's disciples go to John and said to John, teacher, the one who was with us across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is, he is baptizing. He's baptizing folks. And all are going to him. See, we don't know what the discussion was about purification, but whatever it was, it led them to say, hold up, hold up, hold up, John. John, our teacher, wait a minute. 
if what we have just discussed is true, and Jesus is baptizing folks, and you're baptizing folks, why are folks leaving you and going to Jesus? Y'all, these disciples, they were fans of John the Baptist. And they began to, to try to whisper into John's ear this idea of comparing himself to Jesus. Y'all know we live in a culture where we compare all the times. And oftentimes, it is our friends and our fans who are saying to us, did you see what so-and-so did? Matter of fact, we scroll on social media looking at what our friends did, and their pictures look so nice, and then we look in our house, and we're like, what am I doing, and what are they doing? And we have this comparison. And see, sometimes we've got to be careful about the voices that we allow to speak into our lives. Sometimes we need to be careful about the fans who say, listen, you need to promote yourself more. You need to put yourself out there more. You need to be seen more. You need to show folks what you're doing more. But that just is giving into this, 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 this narcissistic, self-promoting society that we live in. We got to be careful, y'all. Because social media, they drive us. They literally have software. They are trying to train our brains to come back to their software so that we can compare our lives to each other. Some of us are, we, we go down a road of destruction and depression because of what we watch on social media. I, I, this was not in my notes. I didn't plan to spend time here, but, but I think that somebody needs to hear this and to guard because what happens is you see these images and then what happens is the enemy uses those images to begin whispering in your ear. We got to be careful about the voices that we allow to speak into our lives because what John the Baptist is Disciples do here. They're saying, wait a minute. Jesus' church is growing quicker than yours. You're not going to do something about that? Don't you need to prop yourself up? Because you need to look You need to look better. You need to let the world see who you are. Matter of fact, Jesus would deal with something similar to this in John chapter 7. Jesus the, and his, his brothers and his family are saying, listen, you need to go in town because, because people need to see who you are. You're getting famous and they need to see you are. And Jesus says, no, it's not my time yet. He says, I need to linger in Galilee a little while longer. And somebody needs to block out the noise of your fans. And you need to say, God, where you have me at this time is just fine. Because you will break me through into my next season at the appropriate time. Matter of fact, that's kind of what we see how John the Baptist responds in verse number 27 here to his disciples. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. I believe the Lord is, is going to help us this morning. If, if, you'll, if, you'll, just, if you'll just check with me, um, the first thing that we see that John the Baptist does is that he has open hands to the blessings of God. He realizes that where he is right now 
and everything that he has accumulated, all the fans and the disciples that he has he has gathered together, all the money that he has, all the influence that he has, he knows that it is not because of anything that he has done, but it is only because of how God has graciously blessed him. And what he says is, is that a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. See, that idea of receive there means that you've got to have your hands open because as soon as you clench your fists, as soon as you say to God, God, why do you have me here? Why am I not being prompted up more, God? Why am I not being seen more? As soon as you get angry with God, you're saying to God, God, I don't like how you've blessed me. We got to be real careful when we begin to compare ourselves to other folks and we want somebody else's blessing. Listen, the old folks used to say it like this. What God has for me, it is for me. And we have to learn to live our lives with open hands to receive what it is that God gives. Because nobody, I don't care how big your platform is, I don't care how much money you have, I don't care about how many followers you have or how many likes you get, nobody gets that on their own vein. It is only by God's doing. And truth be told, I'm preaching to myself a little bit up here. Maybe not a little bit, maybe a whole lot because... Because, because as preachers and as pastors, y'all, we are so prone to be tempted in this way. It is so easy, particularly now when everybody's at home and they're just watching on TV. Oh, my goodness. I, how many eyes are coming to our feed? How many eyes are going to somebody else's feed who has better production and better this and better that, better preaching? But no, here's what I've concluded. Here's what my prayer is. God what you have for me, it is for me. And I want to have my hands open to receive what it is that you give. And I want to be able to celebrate somebody else if God is blessing somebody else down the street. Because indeed, it is not about the name above our door, but it is about the name that is above every name. And so we have to have our, our hands open. Hands open also means that you can't close them in order to try to keep it from being released to where God wants it to go. This is a tricky one because as pastors and preachers, we get real sensitive when somebody leaves our church to go someplace else. I know I do. I know I've been hurt by that before. I admit it. I'm human. I'm sinful. My pride has gotten in the way. But here's the here it is, is that if we have our hands open, God is the one that blesses. And just as he sends someone else somewhere else, he can send somebody else right back to us. We need to live with our hands open. Not only do we need to live with our hands open, but if I can move on to the next verse, we also need to live with our eyes open. Verse number 28 says, John, John the Baptist says to them, you yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. I, I am not the Christ. I am not your savior. I am not the Messiah. I am only the one who has been sent before him. And what I hear John the Baptist saying there is I need to keep my eyes open so I will See where God is leading me next. 
I am the one who was sent before Jesus. I was the one who was to trailblaze the path before Jesus. I was the one who was crying out from the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And what I need to do is not be so caught up on myself that I don't keep my eyes open to how Jesus and God is leading me to my next level of ministry, to wherever he has me to go next. Many times we we keep our eyes closed and we get distracted because we don't see how God is shifting and how God is moving. They knew that John the Baptist had said, I am not the Christ. John the Baptist was so clear about his direction in life. He was so clear about the assignment on his life. He was so clear about his role. And he says, he's saying to God, God, I know that you will never leave me astray. I know that if I keep my eyes on you, you will provide for me. God, I know that you will accomplish your plans. I know that you will finish the work that you began in me. And so, God, I can keep my hands open, but also can keep my eyes open so that I can follow you as you lead. God, wherever you lead me, I will go. And if none goes with me, I will still follow you. We need to live with our hands open. We need to live with our eyes open. But we also need to live with our ears open. Verse 29, John the Baptist says something else to them. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Now, if you have children in the house, you've got to um, tell them to close their ears just for a second so I can explain what's going on here. It, it, it's crazy, y'all, but this is, this is what the text is teaching, uh, that there is, a, there is a groom who's about to get married. He's about to get married, and he has a best man. And back in this culture, what would happen is, is that the groom and the, um, excuse me, the, the, the best man and the bridesmaids, they would lead the bride to the groom's house but they would stand outside the tent and they would wait to hear that the marriage had been consummated. And when they heard the voice of the groom consummating his marriage, they knew that it was time to rejoice. See, that's why our ears have to be tuned in to what Jesus is saying. Because the picture here that John is lifting up is that the church is the bride of Christ and that Jesus has come. And so we must pay close attention to the voice of Jesus. Jesus says it this way, my sheep hear my voice and they know when I'm talking to them. And we can get caught up in our own kingdoms and we can get caught up in our own worlds, but we need to get caught up in listening to how Jesus is speaking. We got to keep our ears open to him. Because sometimes we, we don't need to just have people praise us, but we need to rejoice about somebody else's success. Sometimes the best antidote to our covetings what someone else has is to celebrate what someone else has. Sometimes the best antidote to coveting to what someone else has is to celebrate what somebody else has. 
Here it is. John the Baptist says, I rejoice greatly. Y'all, what, what he is putting forward here, this, this is radical. What he is suggesting is it is it goes against the grain of our culture. And if I'm honest with you, I, I, I'm still kind of struggling with this text. And I think one of the reasons why is because I have been so ingrained by our culture. I've been so ingrained about propping myself up. I've been so ingrained about being concerned about my kingdom. But it cuts against the grain of our society. This is a pathway to joy. You want to know how you can arrive at joy? It doesn't always mean that you are celebrated. Sometimes you can rise at joy when somebody else is celebrating because if they win, that means that we're all winning. My pastor, Pastor John Jenkins, says it this way. He says, don't get mad if God is blessing your neighbor because if God is blessing your neighbor, that means that God is in the neighborhood. See, sometimes we, 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 we need to keep our ears open. And before I move to this last point, I just have to, I have to say this, is that when, when, when John the Baptist's disciples came to him, I just wonder what was going through John the Baptist's mind. He, he had built up this ministry. And initially he's saying he was cool with being humble. He was out in the wilderness, he was eating locusts and wearing camel's hair, and he didn't have a large crowd, and he, he probably was okay about that. But then folks started being attracted to him, and so his crowd starts growing, and he is thinking to himself, man, I must be doing the right thing. But then all of a sudden, it's like his ministry is being undercut. I can only imagine that at this moment, he is in a spiritual, ambiguous place in his life, thinking to himself, what is going on? I know I'm supposed to pray for the Lord, but, but why is it that now I'm, it seems like if I am losing, it seems like if I, like I am not winning, it seems like everybody is going to somebody else. But even in your place of spiritual ambiguity, your place where spiritually you don't know even where you are, it feels like things are being undercut from underneath you. I just want you to be encouraged to keep an open heart as well. That's what we see there at the end of verse 29 and the beginning and, 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 and verse number 30. He says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. See, John the Baptist understood that he needed to keep his heart open to how God would begin to move even if it no longer included John's ministry. This is a, this is a hard place to sit with and to, and to wrestle with. John's ministry is about to fade off the scene. But yet his heart is still open to the move of God. And he says that even though his ministry is decreasing, my joy is now complete. Even if my role is diminishing, 
My joy is now complete. This leads us to understand, y'all, that if we follow Jesus, it will require that we decrease. It will require that we lose our life. It will require that we die daily as we pick up our cross and follow Jesus. John Piper said it this way, when Jesus becomes greater in the world and I become lesser in the world, my joy increases. I know it's, it, I know it's not what we're used to hearing, folks. And if I'm quite honest with you, I'm, I'm probably worn out of all these preachers who are helping people to walk into their destiny, helping people to figure out how do they get an increase and how do they get promoted and how do they get elevated. But we need to remember the message of the gospel is that Jesus would increase and we would decrease. What area in your life do you need to decrease so that Jesus can increase? What do you need to say no to so that Jesus can be on greater prominence in your life? Perhaps you don't get the glitz and the fame and the glamour, but people see your life and they see Jesus in your life because they see that you were willing to humble yourself, swallow your pride, turn from your wicked ways and seek him. See, what this passage, I believe, is challenging all of us to wrestle with is where do we need to decrease so that Jesus may increase? What in your life needs to be turned down so that Jesus can be turned up? What in your life needs to be turned down so that Jesus can be turned up. This passage challenges us. It forces us to wrestle with God, what do I need to do to decrease so that Jesus can become more prominent in my life? One of the reasons why many of us can't be a witness to the world is because people see too much of us and too little of Jesus. And one of the things that John the Baptist was good at was that he was good putting Jesus on blast. He was good in making Jesus' name famous. Matter of fact, John chapter 1 says that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him, Jesus. John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. How does your life bear witness about the life of Jesus? Do people see you 
saying no to you and yes to Jesus. Perhaps this week, you can just write down one thing that you're going to turn down in order for Jesus to be turned up. Think of one thing that needs to decrease in your life so that Jesus can increase in your life. I believe that that is a different pathway to joy. But I want to let you know that the joy that God gives, it is not a joy of the world. It is not what the world says is joy. It is an unspeakable joy. The old saints used to say it like this, the joy that we have, the world did not give it to us, and the world cannot take it away from us. We can live with open hands. We can live with open eyes. We can live with open ears. And we can live with open hearts because we know that even though that's not the pathway that the world takes to joy, and even though it's a different pathway to joy, that that too will lead to joy and we will be able to say this joy of mine is now complete. Just because God is telling, trying to tell you to turn down some stuff in your life doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want what's best for you. It doesn't mean that he has forgotten you. It means that he wants you to experience joy abundantly in your life. Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about Triumphant Church, visit us at thetriumphantchurch.org or you can contact us at 301-559-2200.